What is up, plant people? Today is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, and we're back with an episode of the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some really cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host, and I'm here with the shortest intro of Planthropology you'll ever hear. Uh, Thursday, day after tomorrow, is our first birthday of the show, and to celebrate, I'm going to give you a party favor, and I'm not going to talk at you for very long. Uh, um, if you want to give me a gift, you could go leave me a rating and review on Podchaser, on Apple, on CastBox, or anywhere else you can. I would very much appreciate that, but, you know, no pressure to do that. Um, y'all, uh, if you have been listening... to the show for a while you'll know our guest his name is kyle tangler he's one of my dear friends and i couldn't think of a better person to have on for um for our first birthday so we talk about all kinds of stuff about science about uh plants that you can eat and shouldn't eat and that are trying to kill you and all kinds of other stuff um Depending on when you're listening to this, you may or may not have seen the show's new logo, which I unveiled on the 5th on our birthday, was designed by Beth Nichols, uh, who will actually be our next guest on the show, and it's really awesome, and I hope you love it. But anyway, that's all. Let's hear from Kyle Tangler. Y'all are the best. I love you lots, and uh, thanks for a wonderful first year. So hang on. This one's a lot of fun. Is really chaotic and i think you're going to love it so buckle up it's time for episode 34 of the planthropology podcast with my friend kyle tangler it's gonna be very conversational yeah i think that's good this is like the one year anniversary episode yeah i'm hard to keep on target anyways Oh, I know. <laughs> We've been friends a long time. I know that. <laughs> There's no way this isn't going to end up with linoleic acid. Right. Somewhere in there. Like yeah. Yeah. This is just going to be how the show starts, by the way. <laughs> okay. So no cursing. I'm going to stop now. Uh, as, I mean, up. just, just it keep it to a minimum. I'll, I'll dub over it okay. with plant names. You, you remember Craig Ferguson, the late? Yeah. You know how you'd always like dub over any curse words with just him making funny sounds? Yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah. I've been using plant names. <laughs> There's some pretty funny plant names. Too, Th- so there are. Nice. And I just released one that was like bananas. Like the, the, the dubbed over word was bananas. I've gotten to use asparagus. Uh, and what was the other one? There was a third one. Asparagus already sounds like a it sounds kind of dirty sultry. Yeah, there's something like sultry. <laughs> the sultry asparagus. asparagus. Oh my god! The name of a terrible club, the sultry <laughs> asparagus. Oh whoa, this is already. It's, getting... We've taken a turn. I've lost all of our listeners already. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? Uh, so this is our first episode of year two of Planthropology, and I couldn't think of a better guest to bring on than our first one. So Kyle Tengler, the person who does not eat his friends which i'm actually pretty happy that he has stuck to that not eating his friends over the past year um i think have you eaten any friends this year i you know i've stayed pretty strong on that um (laughs) most of my friends are still around for the most part okay well that's good news i don't i'm not keeping tabs like so you don't know that's not that's not my job okay (laughs) (laughs) to keep tabs on which friends you have and have not eaten Let's go with that. We'll just, we'll move on. We'll move <laughs> on. How's it going, Kyle? 
Um, it is a nice, it's a beautiful day it's outside. Beautiful. Um, it's, it's, you know, we don't get like well, we know like the whole Lubbock season thing. It's, it's not real. It's not a thing. So it, this each day is its own season. So today's season is pretty nice. It is. It was like what forty this morning, and then what seventy five and sunny this afternoon. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm in. I don't know. It was nice. It was nice. So if you haven't figured this out already, dear listener, this is going to be a very free form, just like fun, silly episode. We'll talk about some stuff. Uh, we'll actually talk about a lot of stuff. We don't know if that stuff will make any sense at all, but we're just going to go for it. I thought it'd be a fun way to start off year two, uh, to just catch up with Kyle and which by the way, Kyle, your episode is still the most popular one. Why, you know, why isn't this translating into other areas of my life? What's going on here? <laughs> There's not, like, you're not getting all kinds of, like, movie deals and stuff? Not yet. Okay. But, you know, I'm going to start putting it on my resume. You're like, yeah, you know that Vikram guy? <laughs> yeah, I know him. <laughs> Everyone's like, no big deal. The dude from Friends? That one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, I mean, feel free to try and keep me on target if you can. I, you, we'll I'm not good at that. Yeah, how, there's no way. This is a bad formula. It is. We pretty much have zero chance of staying. Yeah. But I hope this is fun for you to listen to. Um, so how it's been a year. <coughs> I don't. I don't have the thing. I promise. Um, it's been a year. What have you been up to the past year? School. What, what can anybody have been up to? Oh yeah, that's right. We were. All- <laughs> it's like I all of a sudden just forgot that we've been locked down for eight months. Yeah. Sort of. What are you up to? Like, what do you? What, is that even, <laughs> what does that even mean? If so, they're just, you know, they're just sounds. Actually, I, I am. Uh, hopefully, I, I'm hoping that there's other people in this boat. I've used. It seems I actually like have seen some like. Uh, I don't. I try not to read the news because I think news it's is healthy. News is dumb, and mm. like, who? It's not going to be anything I want to read. But no. I did see like somebody had shared some headline that like there's more people trying to set up like healthy habits now than normal or something. I don't know how you like measure that more than normal. What is that? Healthy mean? habits. Yeah. Like people like, you know, like, Oh, huh. I'm going to try and try, I'm going to try the X, Y, Z diet or I'm going to start running or whatever. You know, like I have been, I have never been so, uh, <laughs> that's okay. It's fine. I've never been so it's on con- brand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can, we can, there's gotta be a way to turn this, just turn this whole thing off. Your phone. Yeah. You know, I think I mean, you can do that. Yeah. The, I'm not a, I only have a degree in computer science. I don't know anything about phones. Okay, <laughs> they don't have computers in them. <laughs> um, oh yeah, so you know I, that's, that is what I've been up to. I've been uh, actually like way more le- legitimately getting out and trying to like I trying to like get in decent shape to be like a, I'm like you know I should be a person and uh, <laughs> be able to do normal human things. Those are good goals. Yeah, I measure things about like what if could like a a dude like. 14,000 years do this thing and then if I can't do that thing like there's like 14,000 years ago yeah like if you can't climb a tree there's probably a problem you should be able to climb a tree Hmm. yeah that's fair you know like standard things like lift your own weight up like let's say you're in like a like you're in a Bruce Willis situation and you have to like hold you're on the edge of something and you have to be able to lift yourself up by your like your own body weight up you should be able to do those things if like what if I get tossed over the ledge of something well, that's gotta be, fair. Got to be prepared. If Alan Rickman come, oh, 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 uh, now it got really sad. Oh my god! All right. Uh, okay, moving. Anyway, yes. If some slightly Eastern European villain threw you off a building, yeah, I need to be prepared. So this year, as that's this is the time. I mean, 
everything's locked down and people are all afraid of everybody else and everything. Might as, so might as well. I may as well. And you know, people are still afraid. I have. Uh, I don't need to get into the details, but like, I apparently I'm very suspicious when I work out. So I've actually had to like, I've been working out in public places like parks huh. and whatnot, and I've had like the cops call on me now. What? A few times. I'm like, look at that dude. What is that guy doing? I'm like, it's called a push up. <laughs> are you serious? Oh yeah. So so far. <laughs> It hasn't gotten too crazy. I've only gotten pulled over twice. And they said, like, and I was like, I don't understand the problem. They're like, oh, well, somebody called. We're just responding to the call. We don't have a problem. We just are responding to the call. That's uh, funny. Yeah. So don't be careful where you work out. People might be very suspicious. And don't call the cops on folks for no reason. (laughs) How about that? I mean, they had a reason. It just it wasn't was, a good reason. Yeah, it was a bad reason. Was, yeah, if you're if you're gonna call the cops on someone, make sure they're doing something wrong. So that's that's what that's the only thing interesting I've been up to this year that's been any significant change. Exercise, trying to like okay. you know I've always tried to like be somewhat reasonable or fit or whatever. But yeah, yeah, let's try and get more serious about it. Anyways, okay. Well, no, that's good. I have not been doing that. I have been stress eating for eight months that's what i've been doing i finally am done with this whole well it's sitting right here in front of me but this dissertation business and uh i just stress ate my way through the whole thing yeah and now you get to like oh well it's released that oh that's over i better eat some cookies now. That pretty much right? yeah. pretty well, now i have time to bake <laughs> <laughs> with extra crisco you anyway. know i will say like your uh photography skills are bleeding over into your your baking your, right you should be a food photographer on I the should, site. Let's add job? another thing for you to do. Is that a job? I guess Absol- it's a job. That's totally a job. Okay. Okay, so if I need another job. Yeah, on top of like the five I other things you already things. do. I do too many things. Yeah. Um. So one of the things we had mentioned as we were, I was going to say as we were chatting before, but it's it, there's there's no like discernible break between when we were chatting before I hit record. Just stream of now. consciousness. Just That's... stream of consciousness. Um, but we were talking about plant defense compounds. So tell me your thoughts on plant defense compounds. I mean, I would even extend it. My my thoughts about plants. I, I have a, I've as a person as a plant person speaking to a, another fellow plant person. Right. I feel like I've had a lot of time to develop a healthy respect for plants. And I do, I feel like we live in an environment that to an, in an unhealthy way puts plants on a pedestal. I think we, uh, these innocent plants, they're the, you know, they could do no harm. They're so great. We only need more plants in every aspect of our lives. And like, if you're one of those, like, the 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 people who have like started your plant collection during all of this lockdown mm-hmm. stuff, which is a lot like, of people. That's probably yeah, that's probably a good. I don't know. There's some reper- financial repercussions there. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, plants are expensive. Yeah, I don't understand. As a you know, like the thing, like all all uh, horticulturalists are thieves. Yeah, horticulturalists don't pay pay for plants. That's just no. the thing. I've never met another horticulture. Like you maybe maybe you'll pay for one plant, and then after that, it's one like, time. Yeah, and then you never pay for that plant again. So right. Um, but other people like the the budding plant enthusiasts, they're probably they could get hit in the wall. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, yeah, no, it's expensive. And so, so when we think about what are the what are the things the nefar- more nefarious things about plants? Like, if you think about plant defenses, that you know, there are parts of plants that want to be eaten. There are yeah. parts of plants that don't want to be eaten. Right. And, you know, I'm anthropomorphizing a little sure, bit. Yeah, of they course, don't want of to course. be eaten. But, of course, like, if... Um, are, are you familiar uh, with uh, 
the Jain Jainism, you know, like the religious. I I know. So like, I, I, and I'm I'm sure that I'm not going to get this 100. percent I'm not a Jainist, so like, don't come on, guys. I'm not a cut him some slack. Yeah, you out there. I, I was I was speaking with somebody, and they were telling me like, th- th- I really like appreciate this because there's a c- consistency about it, where like they uh, don't want. Not only are they like mostly, uh, I think vegan or vegetarian. Okay. But they also uh, try not to eat the parts of plants that beget more life, right? So, like, huh, if like you, fruits. yeah, it, it will, are, are like more like the seeds, right? Like, Interesting. If that's a life that you, that's a lifeline that you've ended, and so it extends like up to like tubers, even like you wouldn't want to eat a huh. potato necessarily because if you ate that potato, that that potato could have been a life. Like you can, you know, you can propagate it asexually from the tuber and everything. Yeah. And whereas like a leaf or something like that would be, it's not a reproductive part of the plant. So you're not going to like completely destroy the whole lifeline of a yeah. organism or something like that. And I may have, I may have like messed that up. That uh, but That's interesting though. And I, I actually really liked it because I think it's like, it's very consistent because it's out of like a respect for life. And, uh, and so anyways, how did I start talking about? We were talking about plant defense compounds and yeah, so we got here somehow <laughs> so uh you know you think about oh yeah the n- nefarious yeah nefarious of, plants bits of plants and you know like if, if you really think about it almost no plants you can eat i mean like uh regularly <laughs> you can eat any plants we've you know, we were talking about this too like you can eat any plant at least once maybe a couple times maybe a couple and of course, the, like the dose matters and everything, but like, uh, yeah, there's plenty of plants. To, like, you just don't want to make a habit of eating, and some of them, like, even the one time is probably gonna you're gonna have a bad time, right? Um, so most plants you just can't eat, and of course, like a lot of plants, uh, they defend themselves. Oh, that's that was what it is. Like the the types of tissues, right? So like, if yeah. you think about brambles, um, the structural components of a bramble is full of spines. Like if you go and you try and pick some Marion berries. They have, there's some old, like the old thing, like you give as much as you take. Right. Sure. So like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you take, if you pick a pint of uh, Marion berries, you might leave with a, you know, less, a pint less of blood or something right. like that. They're pretty pokey. And of course we've, we've like domesticated things to manipulate them and be less pokey and, uh, and stuff like that. But those are like the more obvious types of plant defenses, the parts that poke you and stab you and, and you. Or even like you know, like you think about like the glockids on a cactus or something right. like that. They're they're not going to hurt you, but man, they're annoying. The super annoying. And not everybody has a roll of duct tape on them, right? Uh, <laughs> all times. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And and you think about like that compared to like some of the big thorns or, or big. Are they, I guess are they all considered glockids? No, spines. No. Spines yeah. is the word I want. Yeah. Like a long spine on like a saguaro cactus versus a the little and you think feathery about which glockids. one of those would you rather back up into like and get in your the back of your leg or something like i'd rather have those big thorns just once yeah they're it's so, over because you can yank them out like you yeah. just grab them and they're gone you get in some prickly pear Ugh. you're in trouble yeah oh man i've got a funny story about a horticultural a fellow horticulturalist who uh had to learn a sad uh, crazy lesson i was talking about the horse crippler cactus and yeah, i found right. some and the fruit i think the fruit are pretty tasty on those most cactus fruit are at least like not offensive. <laughs> That's a pretty low bar, Kyle. <laughs> like at worst. Well, you know, and you know, like like plant people are like, oh yeah, these are totally edible. And so people have like 
I immediately assign some kind of like culinary. I'm like, well, I mean, it tastes like water. Yeah, it doesn't taste like this, or this or, is an old cucumber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but some you know, I actually do like the, some of the fruit off of horse crippler cactus are actually kind of tasty. Huh. You get like a like some dilute strawberry kiwi kind of flavors off of some of these cactus and stuff. And I was telling a fellow horticulturalist about, it, but she was more like into the landscape side of things. Okay. And uh, and then she immediately like grabbed one of the fruit and popped it in her mouth and it had all the glockets. You're like, on wait, no. I'm like, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> and of course, then she had like a, well, she had an interesting. That's time. a bad her day. tongue didn't, yeah, that was not good. So, like, those are like the physical ways that plants can defend themselves. But there's like a, a lot of ways that are not physical, lots of chemical ways that they defend themselves. And you have to think about like an, some of this within an evolutionary context, too, right? Like, which tissues of a plant. Does a plant is a plant cool with you? Go ahead and grazing on right, and you know like fruit, a ripe fruit that's a dispersion, a dispersal. Yeah, they mechanism. want something to eat it, but they also don't want you to digest the seeds, right? Which is right. why seeds tend to be packed with things that increase or, or that decrease transit time in the in- intestinal system, right? So that they can get deposited without having been dige- digested too much. And actually, of course, like they get some benefit, right? You get some scarification, sure. Right. And uh, I don't know why I'm moving my hands around. That's okay. Like that. <laughs> I do that too. Um, so, so like they're very selective about what the plants will allow you to cope with, right? Right. Like it, you, the f- flesh of fruit, sure. And they're they're even very selective about uh, the the temporal aspect of it too. Like hmm. unripe fruit, the plant doesn't want you to eat unripe fruit because the seeds probably aren't completely mature. So it's either. sour and terrible. Yeah, and sometimes there there's even like some. You'll get like a lot of like bitter alkaloids mm. in some unripe fruit, unripe fruit that aren't there whenever the plant totally ripens and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, of course, like people are weird. You know, like we, <laughs> there's like the thing about like the chilies, right? The and the yeah, right. and where the plants like trying to. This is a way for you not to eat it, and we we just love it. Well, the same thing has happened with like bitter. Like people eat bitter melon. Ooh. You know, have you ever eaten bitter melon? I have once. It. I, I don't know what rat poison tastes like. <laughs> maybe better yeah it might the actually, rats seem to want to eat it yeah if you've ever eaten like something that's high in cyanide like that actually tastes pretty good and i like eat like uh, some bitter melon <laughs> you ever eaten like apricot kernels and stuff like that they've got some cyanide yeah, in there but just actually, a little but they, there's some kind of tasty about yeah just that, that some of that tasty cyanide action <laughs> <laughs> But uh, <laughs> so people are weird, right? That's a weird yeah, right, thing, right? Right. Yes. That's a weird thing, and, and you know, cyanide is interesting in and of itself, just because it's like a mitochondria. It messes your mitochondria up. You know what the mitochondria are? Okay, go ahead. They're the. <laughs> I can't even you do it. Son of a. <laughs> okay. Son of a banana. The the powerhouse of the, Kyle hates that. He hates mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. I do, and it's for. I know that's what everybody learns. And I feel like people underappreciate mitochondria because they're important cell signaling organelles, and they do so much when it comes to cell regulation. Other and than everything. just ATP, but we won't. Right, right. We don't have to get. Yeah, but cyanide—that's a whole story there. Sure. It's, that's okay. What the cyanide's doing. It's messing up your electron transport chain. But um, of course. Of course, right. As everyone knows. And like, yeah, the cap- the capsaicin is another one of those examples. The plants like, don't eat me. I'm gonna poison you. And we're like, hey, ooh, let's. These weird apes. And are people like, are like, what about sriracha? And <laughs> what if we ground it yeah, into paste and concentrate it, and then we'll put it on everything, literally everything, our yeah. sandwiches and our soup. 
And so it's like that's got to be like the bitter melon thing. I don't know how we got to where that's like a thing that people gravitate towards. But to me, like the bitter bitter taste receptors are there. Of course, like I'm not one to say what evolution is trying to do. Course, right. Right. Because yeah. But a lot of things that are poisonous are very bitter, and we have bitter taste receptors as a way to detect like those for a things. reason. Yeah. And I, yeah. That's that's why you can like taste sour things. It's like, hey, this is not ripe yet, guy. And <laughs> you crazy monkey. And then instead we like make a, what's the thing where you, uh, uh, ceviche. Then we make ceviche, ceviche right? right? It's like mostly super, the sourest part of the sourest fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Just for funsies, right? Yeah. yeah. So people are weird, but, uh, but some of these things actually can cause like, uh, you know, actual health consequences hmm. and some, some of the health consequences are rather acute and some of them are long-term, but plants have evolved a lot of different uh, and very interesting, innovative ways to defend themselves. When you start eating parts of the plant tissues that they don't really like for you to have eaten. Um, like, it, yeah, again, like if you're eating like the fruit, that's cool with the plant, but if you're eating like the, the root and I'm not talking about like a, you know, like a tuber or something like right now, like the actual root. Yeah. Plants don't usually survive that. <laughs> right there's that, there's a whole lot of logistical that, issues with getting to the root that, that the kills plant the like. plants right that's <laughs> and, a problem and you think about like the like uh, depending on the type of plant right and how how it propagates itself a lot of like the the vegetative tissues too like the structural components are there for the plant to uh, photosynthesize you know hold up leaves and stuff like that so they don't necessarily want you to eat <clears throat> some of those tissues also are the leaves themselves like the leaves are there to photosynthesize if you reduce the photosynthetic capacity of a plant the plant's not going to have as good of a time yeah and if, but the, you know this you're throwing things into like the whole evolutionary context because then you have grazing animals that evolved alongside yeah uh grazing plants that can be grazed and respond well to that and it, they actually seem like uh there you know there have been studies on on some grasses where the saliva from a ruminant biting it actually stimulates a more growth than if you it's just mow, mow the plant. Yeah. And so, like, of course, there's always, like, a nuance. To, we got to get to nuance, too. We'll, but. we'll get there in a sec. But I, and I also think of, like, you know, there's some, there's some evolutionary component to dispersal, like, radius, too. Because I'm thinking specifically, uh, we have a, a, a nice little Yopon holly just right outside oh, the greenhouse here. Oh, that's a fun, here. Yeah. fun plant. It has, like, you know, tiny little green leaves and bright red berries that, that, are generally like mature now, you know, this time of year going over like the like the Christmas time. So they, they're like very Christmassy looking, right? Cause they're red and green. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the, the, the scientific name of this plant is Ilex vomitoria. I love this story. And it is this for a reason, right? Like mm -hmm. it will make you aggressively ill. Well, the berries, the berries. Yes. Just the berries. Yes. Um, and I think about it from like an evolutionary context because birds can eat it just fine. Mm -hmm. And then you get wide dispersal of the seeds, right? It's They're dropping these seeds, in theory, farther away from the mother plant than something like a cow might or, you know, a, a, a mammal might. Yeah. And I just, you know, co-evolution is such an interesting thing. But, uh, you know, I, I think the natives in this area or the natives that, you know, were around Ilex vomitoria would use it for purging rituals and things like that uh it was really like it's like a bunch of like goofy kids who are like do like the gallon of water challenge like who can drink the most of this thing without throwing <laughs> up whenever whenever i read about it, it seems right like, like who is more manly how, how many of these berries can you eat before you throw up yeah and, and the parents are just like stop 
That's a ti- <laughs> that's a Tide Pod. Stop it. <laughs> there you go. That was the Tide Pod of of, of, of pre colonial times. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But so that, like the I like Svamtori, like that's an interesting example because you know I'll talk to people about like th- there's not that many plants that um that uh there, there's like a bit of like convergent evolution there where very distinct plant families um produce caffeine huh yeah and you know I like Svamtori, the leaves of the ilex vomitoria contain caffeine and you hmm. can make caffeinated tea so if you have like yerba mate that's a different ilex oh that's um, interesting i didn't know that yeah you're my it's it's that's that's an ilex too but it's an ilex native to central and south america if i recall i think it, i want to say south america but maybe central america okay and uh but you can do the same thing with the uh, ilex vomitoria and the leaves are totally fine and so when you tell people oh yeah you can make a tea out of these and then they always then if they know half of the information they're like oh yeah but then you're gonna throw up all the place i'm like there's there's some nuance to this it's a tissue yeah, specific d- don't thing. drop the berries into yeah don't don't make tea out of the berries make tea out of the leaves and uh yeah that caffeine. kind that kind of leads us to the next thing we we had kind of talked about discussing and that is why is science communication so darn hard oh yeah so this is like a a, a huge you really like even Somebody who's been in science for a long time makes a lot of errors. And I, I think this is unfortunate. Not It's not unfortunate that we make errors. It's actually, I think it's good that we make errors. Yeah. I think the unfortunate thing is like how much of your academic success uh, is, is put on whether or not you, how averse you are to making mistakes, hmm. right? Like, like if you're doing a, uh, your dissertation and you find you have a hypothesis and your hypothesis is just like, Oh yeah, this is not related at all. No, <laughs> does not work. No statistical, uh, anything yeah. significance found on absolutely anything. And I found out that, uh, that this experiment, like we just learned all the ways to not find a connection between something. Right. I spent like, six years not finding anything. Yeah. And that's yeah. a positive, that's good. Yeah. Because you know, that, then you don't have to do, you can publish, you should be able to publish that and say, look, we did this experiment does not work look elsewhere do something different do do something different but yeah absolutely i mean can you imagine like if you're doing a dissertation or a thesis or something like that and you're like oh yeah we found absolutely nothing like no in nothing interesting at all it, that doesn't always go so well right <laughs> and you it may not even end up getting published in the long term mm-hmm. and uh and how much and you think about that like how much how much doesn't get published because they didn't get the results that they wanted to get? And that's unfortunate because that's good information. We should know that information. We should, And that's not a negative thing. If you find out that something is not connected, we all need to know that so that we can look elsewhere yeah. and move on. Um, so that's, like, that's part of why science can be kind of complicated there. But um, a, a big part of being a scientist is like is you're – you have to learn a different kind of like intuition a little hmm. bit and you have to realize like you have biases and you have to be willing to look at those biases honestly and uh, figure out like is is what I presume to be true actually true at all or is it actually just uh, like a bystander, right? Is it – am I yeah. – are these things uh, uh, related but not – there's no causation between these two things? And that happens all the time in science. There's uh, anything that's like really heavily epidemiologically based, like it's great at showing associations, but it's just garbage at showing causation. But then whenever you see like a connection between something, you might assume causation. So like, oh, well, like the more eggs you eat, the more – 
it does this to your cholesterol. And so, and we know that cholesterol kills you. So the more eggs you eat, the more you die. I'm like, well, does that actually work? <laughs> and it turns out, of course, like that doesn't work. That's not true. Right. And it's because like there's an association, but there's not necessarily causation in there. And right. and this is a big a, a big problem because whenever you part of this is like there's nuance. That's that's the nuance, right? Like right, there's yeah. an association, and maybe the association there is maybe there's causation, but do you know the directionality of causation? Do you hmm. know if A is causing B or is B causing A? And right. sometimes the causation is backwards from what you think it is, and sometimes there's no causation between those two things sometimes there's actually a third thing that is causing both of those variables that we haven't even looked at yeah yeah and that tend so like uh, i mean I, I i tend to be uh you know these days i really do a lot more literature review and when it comes to like a uh, human metabolism and human biology and so you see like a lot of and i don't need to get this would be like way too long but you see like a, a lot of uh secondary health disorders that are associated with diabetes and people mm-hmm. will really quickly say like, well, then you don't want to be diabetic because diabetes causes an increased rate of this. I'm like, well, no, it it's associated with an increased rate of that. The, the diabetes, we don't know that diabetes causes X, Y, Z. It is more likely. And I'm of the opinion that most of the time it's something else that's causing both the diabetes and this other thing, you know, like a, you know, a heart pressure or, or a blood pressure issues or something like that. Um, it's usually like not one thing causing the other. It's something else that might be causing both of those things. And uh, so, like, things get a little complicated when you actually, like, you can clearly define an association. That's just statistics. You can do yeah, that. sure, sure. But then showing, like, what does it mean is a whole different story. And it's really easy to do a study and say, like, oh, well, people who eat more kale uh, live longer. And then you can – and you, there might be some truth to that statistically, mm-hmm. but then that gets published onto a, in a – it's whatever, you know, mainstream – Head, uh, journal or not journal but like news outlet and the headline says like people who eat more kale live longer i'm like well is that true is right. that and they, they might be associated but you know okay this is a more fun one and closer to both of our hearts um people who drink more coffee tend to have better health outcomes long term they tend to live a little bit longer they have lower uh, uh incidences of like kidney problems uh you know even some like blood pressure things yeah and so on and so forth and so if you say that, then one might easily think like, oh, well, then I should drink more coffee because coffee might be good for me. I might yeah. have a better health outcome. Well, no, that those are not the same thing. Um, hmm. there, there's there's a clear selection bias in there because what there's a type. It might be that the type of person who drinks more coffee also has less incidences of those other things. And it might be that you're missing a whole populate a subset of the population who didn't drink coffee uh, because something about the coffee didn't agree with them or something like that. Huh. And those people also might have other unrelated health problems. And, you know, you know, you can easily say something like, oh, people who meditate uh, have less stress and they live longer. Um, but that, does that mean that meditation causes you to have less stress or live longer? Or does it mean that the type of person who meditates might also do other things that right. make them less stressed? What other compounding factors or, yeah. uh, again, that backward relationship? Yeah, those, you know, the type of person who meditates might also go for a bike ride more often, or yeah. they might be more health conscious and be conscious and they might, you know, think like, oh, well, I'm going to try and, you know, not 
eat as much fast food or something like that. And so you're actually, you might be measuring things that you don't know that you're measuring whenever you uh, take data like that. And I think that's part of the, that's part of the difficulty of science is that so much of what gets reported to the public ends up being uh, a headline pulled from a, a statistical association between something. And it doesn't actually imply causation either way. Right. And this is true, whether you're talking about like, you know, human health or, uh, you know, like how the growing conditions of plants or something like that, or what causes uh, higher yields and stuff like that. Yeah. Like there's, there's a, there's, there's the whole thing. Like if you, uh, this is an interesting thing with sorghum, you know, like a, a sorghum flower, there's actually the whole, uh, what is it? The man, my flower structure is a little rusty, but there's three, there's three little flowerette things on each of the peduncles or whatever it is those are great words i don't yeah somebody uh, uh somebody who's better on the anatomy side, yeah yeah please correct S- someone like write in and fact check us yeah or should, just uh, or teach us <laughs> and, and usually it's only the flower that's biggest that will set seed okay and so you might think that um okay well if you wanted to improve sorghum yields you could try and breed a uh, sorghum where all three flowers on the whole flower stock hmm um, produce a viable seed, and then you can you could potentially like you know significantly increase your yield if you do that. And they, they, people have done those kinds of manipulations. Yeah. And what's fun? I've done been involved in some of this research, which I find I find this is really interesting. If you look at some of the published research, they do show an increase in yield. And if you go and you look at the materials and methods, they would have uh, harvested sorghum by hand, right? And so you. Think about like, well, yeah, okay, so you harvested it by hand. Who's harvesting sorghum by hand? Nobody commercially? does that. That's it's not, not a thing. And so you do another experiment where you harvest with a machine. You see like, oh, there's no statistical increase <laughs> in yield if you harvest it with a machine. And then you start digging deeper and you're like, oh, well, the seed size, the seed diameter is completely different. And the combines don't catch the seed. That It blows off the seed with the chaff whenever it's only a certain uh, below a certain diameter and certain weight and everything. And uh, hmm. so you yield is not just like what the plant produces it's the harvestable part of what the plant uh, produces yeah and so all these things they're more complicated so like anytime this is why we all need to be we need to question our biases and you know if you're let's say like you're a plant breeder and this is your whole thing well you want that plant to to produce more you want it to yeah. yield higher yeah and so like you may intentionally or unintentionally be uh selecting data that might be more favorable hmm. for your hypothesis. And you may not even be intending to do it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, like something as simple as like combine harvesting versus hand harvesting, you might see a completely different result. And if you look at like the industrial applications, right? Like, well, nobody's going to, you can breed the highest yielding plant in the world, but if you if you can only get that yield with hand harvesting, hand it's harvesting. not that useful. Well, and, and some of that goes back to the systemic problems that we were talking about earlier, that it is really hard to publish negative results. (laughs) Yes, anything. Yes, it is hard to publish things. But like non or like, you know, if you don't confirm your hypothesis or fail to write whatever, um, it's really hard to publish that sometimes. People want to see like, oh, yes, we we did something. There was a positive result, positive correlation, uh, statistical difference, blah, blah, blah. There's there's two sides to that, right? Where it. It, on one hand, drives us, I think, towards confirmation bias mm-hmm. in some ways because it's like oh, 100%. It, because it's like 
You're, I mean, you're, you're. I cannot publish this if it's. You're incentivized in a way. Yeah. Maybe not like intentionally. People aren't saying like, "Oh, you need to be, you be trying to confirm your biases." <laughs> right. But it's in there, right? Like if if maybe your job or your like if you have merit based whatever that comes yeah. associated with your job, it it's not gonna seem like it helps you out personally, even though it may help out the greater scientific community. It may not seem like it helps you individually to actually publish negative results like that, and so you're going to have bias like that. And, and I, I think that, that that in itself is is a big problem, is is the bias of what actually gets published. And that's, man, that's just like the whole publication area is kind of a mess, right? Because, yeah. you know, like a, we think about peer review as being uh, like the best way to publish something, but we have to also consider the, uh, the people who – the reviewers – are not without their biases. Sure. And I've heard so many stories from individual scientists who say like, who like, we know that the data was there and it was good data, but the, you know, you look at who was, um, who was reviewing the publication or whatever. And it was somebody who may have had a, have may have had a competing idea or sure. something like that. Yeah. And so that stuff does happen. And so it really mess. So the thing is science is a lot more messy than I think we all want it to be especially yeah. scientists right like don't don't think like that we're all like super <laughs> that, that we're immune to the frustration oh no no for sure and, well and, and i read a, i read an article um actually just before you came in i saw it on twitter that uh nature is starting to put out some open access journals right like yeah, i a, love that whole the open access yes i do too i think it's great i think everything should be open access if you ask me i, I think mean that, I, my and we might differ on this but my whole thing is like if it was paid if the research was paid for by taxpayer yes, money 100%. then it should be available to taxpayers if, 100%, if this yes. was like a private company and it was all in-house that's different and then they try and publish it but then they say like well you know all the funds came internally like hey i, I don't know that i can really argue with that but no i know I'll, I'll give you that for sure but if it's if it's publicly funded research yeah 100%. we should 100 percent be closing that feedback back loop but mm-hmm. what i saw was that some of these journals um and they were talking i think from a european standpoint but the publication fee for some of these open access journals oh is God. like 9,500 pounds, almost mm-hmm. 10,000. I mean, more than 10,000 US dollars, right? Uh, considerably more. And when we talk about evolutionary selection pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about a selective pressure. What are we, but what are we really selecting for, right? Like, I think sometimes it's like you pay for prestige, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe the the undercurrent or the subtext there is, like, oh, well, Good science costs more money, but that's mm-hmm. not the fact. That that's not it. You could have mediocre science from a wealthy institution, or you Harvard. Know, sure, <laughs> I'm not to call anyone out, uh, but but like, so yeah, you can afford to pay the ten thousand dollar publication fee when there may be a really really great scientist and really good necessary information that needs to be in the public sector that needs to be out there that they just can't afford to to publish in a journal with the reach like nature has mm-hmm. right and so we're we're creating academic selection pressure on the way that material is put out and interpreted and then again we don't close the feedback loop well because i think Maybe for good reason, because there's a lot that goes into it. A lot of scientists are scared of SCICOM, right? They're scared of the public outreach part. One, because we don't train in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, because we have all these deliverables that we have to give back to the university if we want to keep our jobs. 
Um, and three, just because who, who has there's time. It's a big time, you know, effort. Right, right. But, um, but if you just like throw a great paper out there and leave it up a hundred percent to the um, interpretation of a of a journalist who may not be well versed in the material, like that's a big like risk of mis- miscommunication. Yeah, and, and you know, like there, I think there's even some room like room here for hopefully the coming and growing era of open uh open access journals and stuff like that uh, is uh like i I understand like i really think that the intentions of the peer review process were good uh originally but it's gotten to the point where that can be a little bit of a bottleneck Hmm. and in some ways like i I, i've heard some pretty good arguments for actually like actually just like forgetting about the peer review Hmm. and just finding journals that you can publish into and let the public be the reviewers let the science because if you just publish it and especially if it's open access right it's gonna get reviewed by your peers <laughs> right talk about you know you're gonna have the, the, <laughs> the biggest number of of peers looking at your paper as you possibly can and it's gonna get critiqued it, it's gonna happen yeah and so in some ways like I, i'm not sure that I, I you know i probably need to think about that a little bit more but i i can see the i can see that argument like is it better to have a couple people uh, able to critique and then maybe uh, you know strike down your the, your you know potential publication, or is it better to like get the idea out there and like let's see if this is wrong like let's let's talk about it yeah an open discussion like we you know this plays into like a lot of the, like we don't need to get into this specifically but like the the political climate and uh, everything like it's gotten to the point where like we should be able to just discuss this including science yeah and we should be able to disagree. Yeah. And have a conversation about it and then be people. <laughs> Instead of name calling and, and being nasty to each yes. other. <laughs> like let's all calm down. You've got an idea. I've got an idea. Let's talk about it. Let's figure this out. And I think that that's something that we really do we do need in in science just as well as we need in uh, probably every aspect of our lives, especially right now. We all need to be cool. We no, just need to be cool with each other. Man, and I totally agree. And it's like the, the it's the social media effect as much as anything else where we we get bits and sound bites and clips and just little little pieces and you know i think that i've had very few conversations where i sit down across the table or or with someone that i disagree with where it turns into something nasty mm-hmm. right like it's easier to find common ground when you actually talk to somebody mm-hmm. and you know you learn something from them they learn something from you and you, you know you're not going to i don't know i think it's hard to as scientists specifically talking, you know, since we're talking about this, it's hard to influence a population that feels like we don't respect them. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Like I could not agree. If you want to increase the amount of science denial, uh, yeah. denialists out there, the best way is to start insulting people. Yeah. That's the, that's a great way to do it. And, and most of the time, like, I don't know if there's a better way to say it. Like, you shouldn't, yeah, talk down to people or insult. We should have open discussions with people. And also, like, there, here's there's a little bit of a, a problem in here, too, because there's a lot a lot of things that are, that we should accept them as true, you know, like, sure. the, uh, we are zipping around the sun and stuff like that. <laughs> we, we should all acknowledge those things. You still believe in the earth, don't you? Uh, I, I'm least... not going to, I'm sorry, you were going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um... But uh, but also we do need to question our biases, and sometimes our foundations are less secure than we think they are. Hmm. 
And, you know, of course, that there there are definitely things that are just true, but we need to be careful about assuming what we what we take as as true from a you know, just because sometimes, for instance, like, you know, what is the old thing? Like what the drunk guy who dropped his keys and he's looking under the the street light and somebody asked, was like, like, what are you looking for your keys? And he says, like, oh, well, you know, they asked him, are you looking? For, is this where you drop? And he said, no, but this is where the light is. Hmm. So science is also hmm. really constrained by the tools that we have. If you can't measure it, you can't look at it. Hmm. And so, you know, like there was that uh, anybody who's cool knows that Topo Drinko, to- to- I <laughs> I Topo Drinko, Topo, Drinko. <laughs> Topo Chico is, I was trying out. Oh, Stream of conscious. This is the problem with stream of conscious. Topo Chico is the is the champagne That's going of drinks. In the title of this episode, Topo by the Drinko. way. You know, what? I think we should make a campaign. Change the name of Topo Chico. Topo Drinko. Topo Drinko. I'm writing it down right now. You know, there, there was uh, that I've seen some people concerned about this because uh, there's a, a polyfluorinated compound that I forget exactly what it, it's. Basically, it's like a. It looks like. Um, an eight carbon fatty acid, but all hydrogens are replaced with fluoride or fluorines. And uh, it's been associated with some like health outcomes and everything. But the thing is like, we haven't always had great tools to measure the, how much it, the concentration of these compounds in right. different, in different uh, uh, materials. And so now like these, we have, we've gotten better at measuring stuff and they did like a, a roundup recently where they were testing like so many bottled waters to see how much of the PFASs they have, the P, I don't know, PFASs, P-fass. I don't know, to don't see know. the concentration in like common drinks and like, oh, there's uh, 8.7 parts per uh, billion in Topo Chico and it's like the highest concentration of all the, all the things. And, but the thing is like that stuff was probably, has probably been there for a while um, but it, we just didn't necessarily have didn't the tool know. to measure it. If we yeah. can't measure it. So that, that's a problem too. Like we need to go back and question like, well, is this what we think it is? And when was this looked at? That, that's, that's why I do think it's important. Repeatability is important. Yeah. Um, what is it in the, was it the New England Journal of Medicine? Uh, I think it was like an editor. Maybe, I think it was them. One of the editors had said like, uh, you know, like we, when we investigate a lot of the publications, we find that like over 50% of them aren't repeatable. Yeah. And so, like, that's a problem of, that's, like, half of scary. the published literature can't be repeated. In medicine. You, that's scary. In me- in medicine or elsewhere. Like, it, yeah. it, it, of course, in medicine, you're talking about human health. But then, you know, in agriculture, any uh, biology, mm-hmm. wildlife biology, like, there are environmental consequences. If we can't repeat these things, there are uh, potential, like, uh, 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 industrial or commercial uh yeah implications, sure, sure 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 you know in terms of trying to figure out what the yield of something is if we're if we're measuring something with the wrong tool yeah and so that this is why i do think we need to uh keep our common sense about us but then also we should always have like th- this is probably part of like uh the <laughs> the difference between the uh my success in life and other people's success in life <laughs> is that I, I'm I'm always a le- I'm always a little bit less sure of myself than I than some other people might be because I wonder <laughs> about this like it yeah I think this is right but did I have the right tools to actually measure that thing and did hmm. I have the right did I have good information and so I have I definitely have a constellation of beliefs that I've accrued over time and most of those are in complete opposition to the beliefs I would have had ten years ago hmm. and a lot of that's because I've really tried to embrace this idea like well what if I'm just dead wrong what if i'm wrong all of this stuff and yeah. i really think we all need to have a little bit more uh hubris and and ask ourselves like well what if i'm completely backwards on this and what if i'm seeing a correlation here that is not a causative 
Right. But if I'm looking at this completely backward, you know, I was thinking about this. This is a fun example, and maybe this can start a discussion about this. I was thinking about uh, uh, water conservation, and especially in like uh, uh, metro areas. Yeah. And where we have, uh, you know, oh, it's a really bad drought. We're going to have water restrictions. I started thinking, like, well, what if we have that backwards? What if you should have more water restrictions whenever it's raining a lot, and you should have less huh. water restrictions whenever it's drier? Yeah. When it's dry, that's when you need the water. Yeah. And whenever it's wet, that's when you don't need it. Like, we save it when it's raining. Yeah. So, like, wh- that would be interesting to look at empirically. What kind of effect would that have hmm. if we started basing our restrictions based on, like, the uh, how, the opposite? Like, not how little water have we gotten, but how much water have we gotten? Can we, if, like, if it just rained an inch and I'm driving around town seeing everybody's sprinklers on, that, does, that doesn't even make any sense. No, but right. somebody might think, like, well, it's not a drought season. <laughs> you know, that's fascinating because we think about that in other other like facets of our lives that we save money when we're making money yeah right like Mm -hmm. you can't you can't put savings away if like like you build your savings while you're you're earning money so Mm -hmm. that in a time of financial drought yeah you have those savings to draw on no absolutely and that makes a lot of sense but but that would require us as a species to prepare rather than being reactive. And that, we're not good at that. That's a hundred. Like we are so reactive and uh, that, and that has of like the, no, a greater example than what we're going through right now. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, we, most of the changes that we've made have been reactionary. And, uh, and I really think that that's, that's caused some of the, the public upset mm-hmm. and everything. Sure. And it's, and it's not that, uh, you know, Maybe some officials have said something that ended up not to be totally accurate or something like that, but it's always been like, you know, there it's it's because it's been so reactionary, right? Um, and if we had, we probably needed to get better at expecting the unexpected, and of course, like you can't, that's a, like a silly no, thing to sure. say, but but you should you should expect like, what if I'm wrong about this thing? What if I don't know what's going to happen? Yeah, um, we should probably yeah just plan better for stuff like that and. It, you know, that was just an example of the water thing. But I think about stuff like that all the time. Like, what if we, what if I'm completely backwards? What if I did the exact opposite of the thing that I've always thought? And, huh. and so, you know, it just makes me, you know, th- th- there's a, another example um, I was reading about the other day and it was like uh world war two story or something like that, where like all the planes kept coming back, all shot up. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the engineers, somebody will know the guy's name. I could look it up right now, but I'm just going to just, just go. Yeah. Just roll with it. It's fine. And uh, they were, so they were going to go in, they were going to like reinforce the planes with a uh, metal plate. And they're trying to, they're asking the engineer like, Oh, well, where should we reinforce these? And of course, he had said like, well, we should enforce reinforce the planes in the areas where they have the least bu- bullet holes, which seems like maybe if you a cursory thought might think like that's not intuitive but his perspective was like well the the planes that got shot in the places where all the holes are made it back yeah and the ones that got shot in the other places they didn't they make didn't it, make it make back it. so maybe we and we need to think about that where what are we going to reinforce what, are we, what so i don't know that's my whole thing what are we no absolutely you know and it, it goes back to what liebig or liebig's law of liebig's law of the minimum Right, that your your most limiting or your most constraining element of a a system is where your gap is. Right, that oh, is your mm-hmm. production level. Right. Yeah. So you have to address the weakest link, and, and whether that's a business or a, or like a, an agricultural system or a, you know a, a, an environmental context yeah. or something like that. Yeah, you have to. The weakest link is that's why they call it that. That makes sense. Yeah. No, that's it's just a fascinating discussion though, because that's not the way we approach things. 
often and it's uh but from but as but as scientists and as as folks listening and actually you know what i don't even want to say just as scientists as people who are as no you're 100 percent right. human yeah. people that are trying to uh that are trying to like survive and like get through life mm-hmm. and you know not make our goal i think should be not only to make our own lives better but to make the lives of society and the people around us better uh we need to be a little more prescriptive in the way that we um, approach life and the way we approach our science and our endeavors and everything else, instead of just waiting for it to hit the fan and then running around screaming. Sure. And and I do think like at, I specifically, when it comes to people who are doing science, I do think like developing uh, like a new intuition is important. That intuition, hmm. beca- because like the, a lot of the things that you assume might be true might actually not be true at all. And if you're basing some, you know, a lot of your work on, you know, some foundation like that, like you, yeah, it might be a house of cards. Yeah. So I think we, we have to be careful with all that, but I do think like, uh, yeah, that we all need to be mindful uh, just generally speaking and everything. Yeah. So, well, and I think that that's, you know, that's a good place to kind of, kind of leave this is that, you know, this is not meant to be negative. I think that there's a lot of positive that we should take from all this that, some of the the systemic issues we're facing in science and other things, mm-hmm. we can we can write that ship right. Like, it, oh yeah, it's correctable. We just have to be intentional about doing it. Sure, yeah, and and we all we need to we need to keep an open mind about things and be able to pivot. And that and I mean that from like a you know sure political or or a science perspective, but I think as individuals we all need to be more comfortable with being wrong. Yeah, we all need to be more comfortable with um, changing our minds about things. And I know that's incredibly difficult for people to do. People sure. people do we we form like a, a we we turn a lot of our belief systems into belief, you know, things that we think are true into belief systems are almost like pseudo religions or something like that. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that's, that's always healthy because like, you know, if, whether you're talking about, you know, right now we have all the virus stuff and you know, you have, you know, like people, uh, you like to poke fun at, if you don't believe in this, then you're like an anti-vaxxer. Right. Sure. Well, you've just uh, alienated a whole group of people who are just trying to question a narrative yeah and, and you've used uh, like a easy little quip to insult a bunch of people when maybe they're actually asking reasonable questions and we need to take the time to answer those questions sure and so we need to we need to be careful about yeah and, and also on the other way around too like the people who are consuming this we need we need to as a society like learn to not be so married to our our ideas and everything and if we see some evidence like hey, maybe that's not true maybe maybe i should we i don't know we, that's, that's an age i don't know how you uh fix that in the, no. the consciousness of humanity and everything well and i think you know it's it's taking some individual responsibility in it right you can't fix that in someone else but you mm-hmm. can Focus on that in yourself and in the way that you approach life. Not that it's easy. I don't think that's easy at all. I, and this I, brings it back to where we started, the assumption that all plants are these <laughs> beautiful, honest, little angelic guys that are just waiting for you to eat them. Yeah. Like, when they're trying to kill you with alkaloids. I mean, you know, like the, if you look at kidney stones... I've never had a kidney stone, but I've had friends who've had kidney stones, and they say it's incredibly painful. Yeah. And if you look into the data on kidney stones, 80% of all kidney stones are uh, calcium oxalate crystals. Hmm. 
Where do you get oxalate? You get oxalate from plants. You get it from spinach. Uh, not huh? spinach. Yeah, no, spinach, spinach is like yeah. one okay. of the highest things. See, I was right. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Incredibly high. <laughs> and you know, like you know, there's the old thing with like Popeye eating the spinach, and the idea was like, oh, you eat spinach because of the iron, and right. it's going to make you strong. Well, almost none of the iron in spinach is bioavailable. Almost all of it is is locked up. It's in a it's in an oxalate salt. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so only about five percent of the iron in spinach is available. So we need to question, yeah, our uh, a lot of our assumptions that these plants are benign at worst, right? Like, yeah. they're probably good for you. Like, no, mo- most plants are trying to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great place to leave this. Uh, so, uh, just to wrap up, you, we should still not be eating our friends, right? Yeah, still don't don't eat your friends. Be very careful who you who, who, who you do eat are. And yeah, well that's easy. If you're careful about who your friends are, then it's easy to know who to eat. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Listen, I, I just don't know how much more convincing you need to not eat your friends. I'm not sure why y'all keep asking me about it. But don't eat your friends. And uh, again, uh, I, I that was a lot of fun. Y'all, I, I hope you had as much fun with this episode as I did. It was always good to talk to Kyle. I find few people as intellectually uh, challenging and, and uh, uh, stimulating as, as talking to Kyle. So uh, I hope you loved it as well. Thank you for such a good first year. Uh, thanks to the De- Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for all the support. Thanks to the Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support the show, check out patreon.com slash Planthropology. Follow us on social media at Planthropology uh, or Planthropology Pod in all the places, depending on where you are. Um, and uh, that's about it. Thanks for a great first year. I really love all of you. You have been wonderful and supportive and kind and so much fun and have made this one of the most enriching uh, experiences of my life. And I really mean that. And I really genuinely value all of you. So thanks for listening. Get ready for a great year too. And uh, keep being really cool plant people. I'll see you in a couple of weeks.